You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Everyone ready this morning? Everyone's ready? Perfect. If I haven't met you, uh, my name's Josh. Again, like Katie said, we're the lead pastors here at Banner Church. Uh, I broke my iPad, so I'm going to speak from a computer, and we will see how that goes. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm excited to, to share with you this morning because I, I really do believe uh, in, in the sermon this morning, and I believe that God wants to impart some encouragement and some renewal to you. So here's kind of the deal that we have to make this morning, people of Banner Church. We're all in this together, right? That we're all seeking not just information but transformation together. Amen? So if you're in this with me this morning, then can you just say Amen. Amen. Good, 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 good. I have a confession. I'm going to start out with this. I have a confession to make this morning. And that's that I think that I am a C-plus parent. I think that, <laughs> that's scary that only four of you laughed because that means the rest of you agree. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, guys. We're starting good. We're nailing it this morning. <laughs> we got the table, everything. But I kind of feel like I'm a C-plus parent. And here's what I mean. Because when I was in school, C-plus meant... You're passing, you're not super excelling, but you're also not failing. And that's kind of how I feel. If I was really honest, I got some A days, I have some D days, occasionally I have some F days. <laughs> is this feeding back? This is driving me crazy. Yeah, that's, hey Nick, can you hook a brother up, man, and just bring this down? I'm only going to get louder anyways. All right. <laughs> We're not even into the word yet. I'm already going to be screaming. Uh, but I kind of feel like that as a parent. And here's one of the reasons I feel like a C-plus parent. And that's because I lose my kid. Baby, if you listen to this five years from now, <laughs> but I, I lose my kid. And here's why. Toddlers have this amazing ability to go from the loudest creatures on earth to ghosts. Complete, total ghosts. And so they go from that to the great, like just nothing. And so what happens is I'm with my daughter and she's like, Papa, can we, Papa this, Papa, why are shorts short and why are pants long? And Papa, why are this, and Papa, why is this, and Papa this, she's this volume. Forever, amen. And, and then they go from this high screaming volume to pure silence. And what that is mean is that my child has disappeared into a rack of clothes. And so usually what happens is that I respond by instead of looking near me, I kind of like look out as if my child is six feet tall and I was going to find her. And I just begin to scream her name. Has anyone done, any parents of kids, done the frantic run through the store screaming for your child? See, the negative of this is that what happens is if you lose or forget your child and you begin to scream for them like, Lucy me! She gets scared. Right? And so she gets more scared, so she hides in those, like, demon clothing rack containers that hide children and all kinds of germs. And she's in there with the germs and what I presume is only 20 to 30 other kids who are hiding from their parents. And there's this idea as a parent where I feel bad because I'm trying to do my best, but I kind of feel like I get a C-plus most times because I, I lose my kid. And, you know, again, if you listen to this in the future, baby, I love you. You're just sneaky. Uh, and they know tricks and they sneak away. And I think that's a funny thing about, like, uh, as a parent, something I really feared was losing my kid. Like, losing her. I kind of, like, think worst-case scenario sometimes in my life. So, like, losing her forever, you know, like, losing her. And, like, where am I finding her? She just lives in Sears for the rest of her life and, you know, only eats what she finds in the break room. Because, like, losing a kid is kind of a crazy, it's a fearful thing. I remember when uh, I was... I was on the soccer team, and we went and played in England, and we were American decent and British terrible, and uh, <laughs> I discovered over there, they're very good at that game, and we were not, and it's kind of like, and uh, they looked at us eighth graders, there was 24 of us, and they said, listen, if you're not back to the bus by one, we leave you, and I was like, sure you do. You cannot leave 24 eighth grade American kids just leave them in England. Because first of all, when you're in eighth grade, here's things you don't pay attention to. Anywhere you've been, anywhere you're going, or anything other than what you want to do right now. So I didn't know our hotel. I didn't know what city we're in. I was like, it limes with Iverpool. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and so we go to this castle, and they're like, you can be here, but you got to be back to the bus by 2 p.m. 
by 2 in the afternoon. And the bus driver was one of those guys that had seen some stuff. Like, he was driving a bus, but it's like, this dude had, I don't know, like, what kind of war he fought in or something. But you've got to be back by 2. And so what happened was 22 of us returned by 2 o'clock. Two of us did not. Now, I was not one of those two because I'm not an idiot. But I got back to the bus, and what happens is at some point on the bus ride, the coach looks at a student and says, where are so-and-so? To which the eighth grader goes, classic eighth grader fashion, uh-huh. And they, they realize we have lost them because their whole job, they left uh, all of their professionalism to the head count of an eighth grader. It's like, hey, Tim, count how many people are on the bus. And he's like, one, two, three, 24, let's go, I'm hungry. And so they lost these two kids. And so what happens is one of the people gets off of the bus panicking because they've lost two children in a foreign country, and, and, and it goes and looks for them. Three and a half hours later, they show up to the hotel in a cab. The kids, not the, not the adult, show up to the hotel in a cab, which I thought was amazing. Uh, we were from all over the country, and they had to be from, like, New York or something because I'd never even seen a cab. And they, there's no Uber, nothing. They show up, and then the leader shows up, like, half an hour after them, just fuming. That kind of anger that it's like you no longer care what people around you think about you when it comes to, like, caring for children. You're just so angry and, and fuming and furious. And the reality is these kids were also frustrated because nobody wants to get left, right, in, in a foreign country. Nobody wants to get lost. Nobody wants to forget, get forgotten. Even my daughter, when she runs away, at some point, she would realize, I have made a horrible decision. I am not self-sufficient, even remotely. I've not had candy for at least an hour, and I miss what I had, right? At some point, she's going to realize, I have been forgotten. <laughs> and, and, and there's really ingrained in all of us, whether we feel lost in, in a foreign country or we feel forgotten in, in a Walmart, whatever it might be, there's inside of us this desire that I don't want to be forgotten and I don't want to be alone. And I don't mean like alone time. I think alone time is good. I enjoy alone time. The older my child gets, the more alone time I enjoy. And I, I enjoy my alone time, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea of being alone, being forgotten. And I think that in our lives, we so often can feel forgotten. In the daily business of work and of life and of the go with the flow, and we wonder, does anyone know me? Does anyone see me? Does anyone care for me? Does anyone even remember me? Like if I, if I didn't do things for people, would they even know what's up in my life? And we begin to feel so often in our lives forgotten. And kind of what sets up this psalm is that King David, I think, knew as, as much as most what it, was, what it felt like to be forgotten. Are you with me this morning? The King David, he was anointed king. He, he, they didn't even remember him when it was coming time to anoint the king. When Samuel comes around to anoint the next king, uh, <laughs> Jesse brings in all of his kids except for David. They forgot, they left him, they purposely left him in the field tending sheep. So before he's even anointed, he's forgotten. Then, he, then he's anointed king, but he's not really king yet. He's still kind of forgotten and put aside. Then he gets into the temple or into um, the throne room, and, and he's in there with Saul. And Saul freaks out and kicks him out and chases him. He's in the wilderness. He's running from Saul, and he's wondering, God, why am I so alone? I thought I had a dream. I thought I was anointed. I thought I had a calling. I thought you called me to do something great, but here I am sitting in a cave totally alone. But what I love about David is that David learned more from the cave than from the couch. And in our life, can I tell you, you will learn more from the cave in your life than the couch in your life. From the comfort, you're not going to learn much. From the conflict, you will learn a lot. Some of you guys are like, I've been, I was learning this morning on my way here. And so David writes this Psalm 139 as, get this, a praise song in response to conflict in his life. He writes praise to God in response to garbage that is happening to him in his life and has happened to him in his past. He's writing this song. And, and, and the thing I like about music and I like about songs, I, I grew up playing music and, and I love to write songs. I love, do you guys like this song that the worship band wrote? It was awesome. And I feel like you can always tell a song that's birthed out of authenticity, 
right? You can always tell like the ghost written song and the authentic song, right? And, and we long for that in our lives, authenticity. And that's what Psalm 139 is. I was reading uh, this week uh, the, this poet that I like, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he has this poem called The Day's End. And it talks about how at the end of the day when I'm exhausted, when I faced all of these things, what I don't want to hear is like a bunch of rich people poetry about how great everything for them is when they're not facing anything. What I don't want to hear is a bunch of words and verses about how I should cheer up by people who aren't facing anything. I want something real, right? And so he says this, and I like this in the poem. Are you okay if I read you part of a poem this morning? We're like, oh, artsy church, okay. He says this, he says, you know, obviously don't, don't read from those lofty things. Don't read from, you know, the, read me something good. He says, read from some humbler poet whose song gushed from his heart as showers from the clouds of summer or tears from the eyelids start, who through the long days of labor and nights devoid of ease still heard music or still heard in his soul the music of wonderful melodies. Such songs have power to quiet the restless pulse of care and come like the benediction that follows after a prayer. This morning, what David's writing here is a song that gushes from a heart that has faced some things and had a revelation about who God is. And this morning, I want to read this psalm together. And my prayer and my belief is that we would have this revelation that David had that says, in all the places I've been, in all the things I've faced, God was with me and is with me and sees me and knows me and cares for me. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you that we can gather here. God, we, re- we just rejoice. I echo the words of that song. Just holy are you, Lord. We declare your goodness in this place. We thank you that as we gather here to hear your word, that you've already begun to speak to our heart. And so, God, we just open it up and say, God, do what you will. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open to Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. Uh, if not, the words will be on the screen. We'll have that available for you. Now, we're going to read that together. I'll read it out, and you you follow it. It says this. You have searched me, Lord, and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. It says, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me become, or the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Took a weird turn there, right? Uh, (laughs) Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What David's sharing here is things that he has learned about the almighty God, whether he was in the throne room or in the cave, whether he was lounging or he was running. Here is what he has learned about God. And what he's trying to do is is reframe our perspective, not just for information, but like I said, transformation, so that our hearts would be changed and we would begin to see God for who he really is. And so here's what David learned. Are you guys ready for this this morning? Three things this morning that David learned about God. Are you guys ready? Amen. Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. 
Turn to your other neighbor, the slightly better looking one, and say, I'm also ready. Some of you had a choice to make and you chose wrong. <laughs> You're going to be fighting in the car ride home. That's okay. Covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> the first thing this morning is that the all-knowing God knows me. The first thing that we see when we look at Psalm 139 is that the all-knowing God knows me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. See, God knows everything. But it doesn't stop there. Get this and follow me in, in this understanding that it isn't just that God knows everything, but that he knows me. Right? It isn't just that God knows all that there is to know. It isn't just that which is amazing and powerful, but he knows me. I am included in that. He knows my heart. God knows everything that could ever be known, everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be. He knows, which can be kind of scary <laughs> when you remember your thought life from the week. You're like, oh, he knows that? Yes, he does. But God knows everything. Every thought in the universe, every moment, every plan. And this scale is massive. Think about that. Every dream, every schematic, every chemical composition, the nature of everything in the world. He knows everything in the universe, but he also knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows who you are. And I think if we were honest, we would probably ask ourselves, if we tried to grasp the size of how big and mighty and powerful God is, we'd be like, really, he knows me? Have you seen me? Really, that big God who knows everything, he has, he has the, the thought or the time to think of me. I, I'm small, right? I, I, I'm nothing. Who am I that that God who knows all things, who knows where all atoms in the entire universe are, would know my thoughts, would know my dreams? would know my heart. Think of it kind of like if you've uh, ever run into a big celebrity and just think of like the biggest celebrity you could ever think of and then imagine you meet them on the street and you're like, hi, you know, I'm like, hi, I'm Josh. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Like, yeah, yeah, I, lo I love your vision. I'm like, what? How do you know who I am? That's like a finite small person who might be in a movie and for some reason we give him a lot of credit, right? Like that's a small, but God is so huge and so mighty and so vast and yet it says that he knows us. Even when we feel like I'm just boring and normal, I love verses two and three that it says it sees us when we're sitting, when we're sleeping, when we're rising. You know what he's saying right there? God sees even your mundane God sees even your mundane moments. God isn't changing the channel on lives hoping to hit your highlight reel, right? It's not like God is changing the channel like, man, well, I'll call, circle back to Banner Church and see if those commercials are over. I'll circle back around and see if they get it together. This is boring, right? God is not jumping for your highlight reel. He loves and knows you and knows every moment that you walk in. Kind of has this like Santa Claus vibe. <laughs> I wish Matt was here. Should have come to church, Matt, uh, <laughs> because he looks like young Santa. See, kind of is a Santa Claus, <laughs> kind of is a Santa Claus vibe. That's one of my good friends, so I could say that. Uh, kind of has this kind of like Santa Claus vibe. It might be like he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, which sounds creepy when you say the words to that song. It sounds normal when your children sing it for some reason, but when you speak, he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. It feels weird because I feel like as people, we generally don't like the Orwellian 1984 Big Brother vibe, but why is that? Because we don't trust the person watching us, right? Like we, we don't want a bunch of people watching us. We don't necessarily trust that person. But what's cool about the Lord is that he is infinitely good and trustworthy. And so when God says, I see you even in your mundane moments when you're sleeping or when you're awake, you know, I know if you've been bad or good, so be good for him. You know, <laughs> when he sees you, he knows you, but he does it as someone who loves you infinitely. God sees when our hearts break. God knows when we feel lonely. God knows when you lay in bed and have counted the ceiling tiles in your room over and over and over again, or watch that fan spin around and worry and worry. He knows. He knows that moment. That does not escape him. The God who knows everything knows you. He knows every thought there is to ever know, but he intimately knows your thoughts. He knows every dream that's ever been dreamed and ever will be dreamed, the greatest to the smallest, and yet he knows your dream. He knows your hopes. 
He knows the cry of every heart. He hears the cry of everyone crying out in the world, but he specifically and intimately hears your cry. He knows it all, and he says, I love you. You are not forgotten. Are you still with me this morning? Amen. The second thing is the all-present God is with me. The all-present God is with me. See, it's not just like what we read in the psalm. It's not just that God is everywhere, but that he is everywhere with me. Right? Are you following me this morning? It's not just that God is in all places, but he's in all places with me. Verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? See, a, a lot of times we get this picture that David is running. But really what this is about is David is building up his hope and his belief and, and his faith that God is bigger than human grasp, bigger than what we can get our arms around. And so all throughout scripture, we see this kind of language pop up that uses height, breadth, depth, all of these things. And what it's trying to say is it's big. It's big. It's vast. Ephesians 3.18 says, uh, and I love this encouragement that Paul gives, it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of fullness of God. David is saying in this psalm, and he's saying to us, and he's reminding us, wherever I go, I find God. If I follow the steps of life down into the dark places, I, I still find God there. I could come down these steps into the darkness, and when I sat right here, I would look to my right, and I would still find God has not left me. He uses this phrase, when I go down into the depths, your, your Bible might say Sheol, and that really specifically or literally means the grave or the afterlife. And now, um, David... I, David never met Jesus, but he knows something really special here that I hope you know, is that we serve a God that even goes to the grave. We serve a God whose presence and love goes all the way to death for us, right? All the way into the afterlife, into death. And what did he do? He defeated it. Right, we serve a God who says uh, that the earth, nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God. That the grave, even death itself could not separate it. So when I go down even unto death, what seems like a death sentence, that God is still there. He has not left me. He has not forsaken me. Your love pursues me to the grave. And then you know what it does when it meets it there? It defeats it. Romans 8 38 through 39, I encourage you, great, uh, great scripture to commit to your heart, to memory. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen this morning. Amen. If you don't get any, just get that scripture and just dwell on it. God, I don't know if you're with me. Nope, hit that again. God, I feel like I messed up. Nope, come back to here. Again, Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. God is everywhere, but he's everywhere with me. When I'm in the dark, you're with me. When I'm in the hospital, you're with me. When I'm at work and I feel like everyone's just ignoring me and I'm all by myself here, everyone, nobody even likes me here, you're still with me. When I'm on top of the world, you're with me. There's nowhere I could go to escape your presence. You are with me. No place that can separate from your love. I kind of feel like life, uh, we, we often get this idea that we're running from God in, in this scripture. And that that means like, oh, no matter where I run, God, can I say, I feel like life, we could all agree, doesn't need your help running to make life difficult. Like life just is kind of a pain, like sometimes, <laughs> on its own, it doesn't need your help. And so I feel like the Lord wants me to encourage someone this morning that it's not that you've run or it's not that like you, you just dragged off or sulked off somewhere, but that life has just been beating on you and that God is saying, I know you feel like you're in Sheol right now, that you're just in the grave, but I want to tell you that I, I have not forgotten you, that you are not forsaken, that I see you and I know you this morning. I'm with you. You might feel in the depths, but the presence of God is with you. The third thing this morning, is everyone still with me? We're still rolling? Good. 
Third thing is the all-powerful creator cares for me. Again, follow, follow this thinking. It's not just that God created all things. Look out this window. It's not just that God created all this. I mean, I wish we could just take a microscope and look at the down to just the, the smallest level of this table. It's not just that God created that. He created me. You're like, okay, great. <laughs> but, but I think sometimes we forget that how crazy is it that the God who created the universe, who spoke the universe into existence, all that power, all that strength, every atom, every cell, the earth and everything in it, galaxies so big and so vast that the farthest reaches of human capacity have only been able to get like little tiny, tiny snapshots of them. All of that, he spoke that in to being. All of that, the God that created that created you. The God that made all of that. David laid under the stars, and he looked up at the stars. Have you ever done that and just felt so small? You're like, you're just laying there like, oh, my gosh, like, really? I feel so tiny just seeing millions and millions of stars. And we hiked the Grand Canyon. I didn't even know there was that many stars. I mean, I'm from Washington. I rarely ever saw stars until I moved here. I was like, that's how many there are? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, that's the sun, you know. But when, when we look up and we see just the infinite nature, the, the power of who God is, we, we, we feel small, but in a really special way that even small us on this tiny rock that floats throughout the universe, this tiny, 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 tiny thing, that he created me. Verse 13, I, I love it. Uh, David says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The all-knowing and all-present God cared for me even in the womb. Why is this important? It's important because we so often think we have to earn God's love. We come from a culture that says what you do defines your value. But what's cool about the Lord is he loved you before you had anything to even give. Before you had made any choices, good or bad. He loved you knowing all the good and bad choices you were going to make. Before that, before you could decide whether or not to even be a recipient of his love, he loved you. You didn't have to show value. You didn't have to prove something to him. You didn't have to get worked up. From the very beginning, God loved us and he loved you. He cares for us because he loves us. One of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says this. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love that. I like how Paul writes. It's just so real. But we are his masterpiece. Have you thought about that lately? That you're God's masterpiece? Some of us are like, no. <laughs> that you're God's masterpiece. And the master is the one who most understands the masterpiece. I would say in my life, I feel like an abstract painting. If I were to like pick a masterpiece to be, I think abstract painting. A lot going on, kind of a mess, a little hard to understand. That would, like, be the descriptor of my life if I were a painting and a masterpiece. But it's funny that the master, whoever the creator is, just so knows the masterpiece. My daughter, who was a master painter, even at this young, brilliant age, she draws me things that I have no idea what they are. And she tells me, it's a rainbow train. I'm like, no, it's not. I don't tell her that. Oh, my gosh, no. People are like, you're a D parent. I know. <laughs> I don't tell her that. I tell her, oh, my gosh, it's so amazing. And she explains to me. She's like, this is a dog and a house and a princess and a rainbow princess and a rainbow dog. And a we're really into rainbows right now. And, and she tells me all of these things. Every little stroke, it kind of means something to her. It's absolute gibberish to me. I love you, baby. But it's just chaos. <laughs> but it means something to her. One of my favorite paintings I, I had him bring up is this Joan Mitchell painting. And again, when I share with you art, don't like Google this person and look up like public policy. I don't know what they've said about the government. Just enjoy the painting. Oh, it's all stretched out. Well, that's fine. You still get the idea. Uh, <laughs> so this is a really cool Joan Mitchell painting. It looks really cool when it's the right size. Um, but I, I, I love this painting 
because uh, it's really interesting and, it, and it's got a lot of energy and, you know, abstract art's kind of like hit or miss for me. Uh, but what I think is interesting is Joan Mitchell painted this painting. It's four panels, one, two, three, four. And what's cool about it is that she knows everything that's going on here, right? There's no brush stroke on this painting. It looks like absolute chaos to me. Like, if I was like, teach me how to do this, she'd be like, I don't know, just throw your brush at it. But, <laughs> but it's, it's really cool, but no stroke on here is like a surprise to her. Like, no one came in and, you know, hit it with like a little of this orange. She's like, well, I got to roll with it now. Now there's purple. Like, she knows the purpose, the meaning, the reason, the goal for this masterpiece. Do you understand what I'm getting? She knows nothing, as even a finite person, nothing about that piece of art escapes her. Nothing about that piece of art is beyond her. Some might see that as a mess, but to her it has purpose. Sometimes I, I feel like a mess. Anyone ever feel like a mess in your life? But what's cool about us is when we see a mess, God sees a masterpiece. When you look at your life and you see this, this, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, am I even under control? I just feel like a cat that they've tied paintbrushes to and ran it across a canvas. Like, that's my masterpiece. It's just pure chaos. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a mess. He sees a masterpiece. He sees the person that he knows, that he loves, and that he created. And the creator knows the masterpiece. And hear me this morning. Hear my heart. Hear my plea with you, because this will change your life. You are not a mistake. And you might have done some things that were mistakes. You've made some mistakes. But that doesn't assess your value. You are not a mistake. You're a masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a masterpiece. Oh, come on. Turn it like you mean it. I'm a masterpiece. Yeah, you're like, that's a little cocky. And I don't know her. Well, you know, yeah, you, might, you might hit it off. We're a church of a lot of young adults. They're always getting together. <laughs> Never know. I'm a masterpiece. <laughs> See, what David is trying to say in this is we change the way we see ourselves and that we are God's masterpiece, that he created us, that he cared for us. Even when we had, like, no what the world would deem as value, he valued us so deeply. Did you know he sent his son to die before you were even created? Were you, before you even a thought of 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 a thought, he sent his son to die for you. And you say, well, you don't know what I've done. Like, he knows, right? We covered that first. He says, you're my masterpiece. I care for you more than anything in this whole universe. Look at that star. Have you seen that star? Yeah, I see that star. It's bigger than you could ever imagine. It's farther than you could ever imagine. And you're here, and you're small, and you know, but I care for you more than that star. You see that one, and that one, and that one, and that, that nebula, and that thing. Do you see the atoms in this? You see all of this. I care for you more than all of my creation. You are my masterpiece. You are not a mess. I see you. I know you. You are not forgotten. I desire to dwell with my presence with you because I'm not dwelling with a mess. I'm not living with a mess. I'm living with a masterpiece, and I just want to be with you, and I want to commune with you. You're meant to be with me. You're meant to dwell with him. You're meant to, to, to sit in his presence, not to be cast aside in a storage room like a mess. You're a masterpiece that's meant to be placed there to, be, to celebrate his goodness, the hand of the creator. Nobody celebrates the canvas that a painting is made with. They celebrate what the maker did. And God is trying to do something in your life to make you a masterpiece. But you got to break loose of this idea that he's far from you and realize that he's near to you right now. And he wants to say, who's my masterpiece? And do they want to spend some time with me? Oh, yeah, you can still clap. It's cool. I know we're not that Pentecostal, but we can still clap about stuff. Yeah, there we go. We'll get there, guys. We'll be Pentecostal church. Give it a couple more weeks. <laughs> People be falling down and no. <laughs> but I love this church that we have an all-knowing God who knows us. We have an all-present God who is present with us in all things. And we have an all-powerful creator God who created us, cares for us, and loves us. And this is what David is trying to say. When David has this revelation here in Psalm 139, it changes his heart. It shifts his heart. It, it informs his heart in just a couple ways. I'm going to share with you real quick and we're done. Just a couple, like five minutes and we're done. 
This is the revelation that changes character. This is how we respond to this reality, that we have a God who sees us, knows us, loves us, cares for us, desires to be with us. The very first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. And my, this is my encouragement. This is my renewal to you. How do you respond to this psalm this morning? One is to be comforted by his character. Be comforted by his character. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Another way to say this is, how amazing are your thoughts concerning me? That's what he's saying. Wow, God, it's crazy that you think about me. Let me let you in a little secret this morning. God thinks of you often. I don't know if you knew that. It's in his nature to lovingly pour his affection on you to think of you. And sometimes you're like, I, don't, I think he might have missed me. But he does. He thinks of you. He cares for you. He loves you. The character of God isn't one that just puts up with you. It's like a loving a husband who just longs for his bride. Longs for them to be victorious, to be loved, to be cared for, to be nurtured. That his thoughts are for you. That he sees you, even when you're fighting enemies, that when you feel far off, when you feel lost. In Deuteronomy, I love that he gave the encouragement to his people. Do not be afraid or terrified for the Lord. God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. His thoughts are always for you. Be comforted by his character. When you feel like you're all alone, seek his presence. Because when you get into his presence, when you encounter God, what you realize is I can be comforted in the most uncomfortable situations. And I can encounter a good God when I feel like there's nothing good around me. Be comforted. The second thing this morning, everyone's still with me? I know it's a little warm. It's even warmer outside, so just embrace the 80 while we have it. Uh, <laughs> is find strength in his justice. Did anyone when we were reading the psalm think, wow, that kind of took a turn, right? Do you think back to what seems like an hour ago for some of you and think about that shift, right? It was like, God, you're so amazing. Kill my enemies. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> like right in the middle of the psalm, he just jumps to, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Just imagine that bridge. Like, Gianna gets up to do a new song, and it's like, holy are you, God. Kill all the wicked people. <laughs> like, slay them. Something about blood. You guys would be like, what church did you invite me to? This is out of control, right? Because it does feel like a little bit of a shift, like, God, we love you. We just kill some people. You know, it's like, it's a strong contrast. Amen? Right? And sometimes we just bounce over like, yeah, that's Dave. That's the Old Testament. It's just bananas. But I think what's important here is that David has a realization that goes to his present reality. Because remember, he's being pursued. He's being attacked. He's being chased down. He, he's gonna die if God doesn't move. Anyone ever been there? And he has this realization, if God sees me and is with me, if he cares for me, then he knows what I'm facing. And what he's saying is, if I serve a God that loves me and desires for me to be victorious, God desires for you to be victorious, it's true. If I serve that God, then justice is yours, God. Justice is yours. I don't, I'm not going to go into work worrying and stressing and feeling anxious. I'm not going to walk through life just feeling the, these feelings of just out of control. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this comes against me? And what about this? And look at what this person has done. And look at what they've done in my past. And look at these things that have happened to me. He says, justice is yours, God. And the reality is if you're all powerful and you're all knowing and you made everything, then you have the power to do whatever you want with it. So I'm going to take it out of my hands because all I do is wring them and worry and get upset and then take it out on the ones I love. And I'm just going to lay all that down, and I'm going to say, God, justice is yours. Amen. Amen? And so we find strength in his justice. And I think that's freeing, that no matter what I walk into, the God of everything is walking with me, and that I don't need to be concerned with my justice. Now, I'm not saying don't care for those in need and have social justice and, and, and that we shouldn't have, like, court. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in our life, we are people that demand fairness, demand justice, which is crazy for a people that have been given so much and deserve so little. And, and yet we cry out to God and we feel that anxiety. And God's saying, you know what, if you just release that, my power for justice is going to be greater than anything else. How do I stay strong when I want to crumble? As I get in the presence of God and I say, I'm just going to give it to you. Let your justice reign supreme. I really want to be about this about this right now, have this bitterness, have this frustration, but I'm just going to get into your presence and say, I'm going to find strength in the justice of the Lord. Last thing, Ben, you can make your way forward. This is the last thing this morning, is to fully surrender your heart. Our third and final really response to the psalm is to fully surrender our heart. 
See, you and I, we were built to live a full life, a life that is made full by living in communion with God. And I've said all over and over, right, like God sees you and knows you and cares for you, and it's all because he loves you. You know, John 10, 10 says the thief came or comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came, this is Jesus talking, that you may have life and have it to the full. I came, Jesus came, that you may have life and have it to the full. I want that life. I want that full life. I don't want to live in brokenness. I don't want to live in isolation. I want to live in the full life that God meant for me. So how do I get that? If God sees me and knows me and cares for me and loves me, how do I get that love is that we have to open our heart fully to him. And here's why I add fully. Because... Like we said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We, we read that in Romans 8. But what can happen is that we can damage the communion we're supposed to have with the Lord. Because we allow things to come into our heart and take up residence that are not meant to be there. Is everyone following me this morning? Everyone with me this morning? I don't want you to miss this part because I think it's important. It says, verse 23 through 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David knew it's not enough to search my own heart. God, I need you to search my heart. I want to think of it this way. Think about if you purchased a home and when you went to get the keys, someone said, hey, you can have the keys, but you can't open this room. You'd be like, well, that doesn't, that hardly seems like I own the place. If I own the place, I should be able to open all of the rooms, right? Like we would understand that as a basic understanding. But you go in to buy the house and they say, hey, you know, he, here's my heart, but don't start digging around in here and open up doors because I don't know what's going to fall out. Are you with me this morning? Say, so here's my heart, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let my old junk crash in the back room. So you own the house, but you have a surprise Airbnb for the foreseeable future who's just going to live back there. Or hey, you can have my heart, but... Just don't go into this closet of lust. Now, it might just spring open occasionally and just vomit all over our life. But you know what? Don't go in there. Don't deal with it because I don't want to because that would, that would suck and it would be painful. But you can have my heart. And David says, no, that's not how it works. We have a God who knows us, who's with us who loves us and what he's saying is if you want to dwell with me like you're built to do, like you're meant to do, to live in the fullness, not in addiction, not in brokenness, not in loneliness, not in isolation. If you want to live in the full life of Jesus Christ, then you got to fling every door open. You got to open every closet. You got to take bitterness out of the basement, right? Like you got to open everything. Nothing is off limits in your heart to God. And why do I say that? Because you could come here week after week and have some closed off rooms, but you will miss what God's trying to do in your life. I meet with people that come to church often, but never open the doors of their heart. They never receive the fullness and they wonder why it's just not working for them. And it's because you want someone to own what you refuse to give up the keys to. Are you with me? Are you following me this morning? This is the character of God. It says, Jeremiah 29, 13. And now this is a promise for Israel. But again, this is reflecting the character of God. Uh, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Hear me again this morning. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with how much of your heart? all of your heart. Not you will seek me and find me when you seek me with some of your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with the convenient portion of your heart that's pre-allocated that you allow people into. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Come on, what a promise, church. I mean, just think of this. That we have this treasure that we could never buy, never earn, never make, never create. We have this blessing of communion with God. You and I were, like, everything still does what it's supposed to do. Bees still buzz. You know, I, like, things still, trees still grow. They all do their thing except for us. We were meant to be in communion with the Lord, to live with him in his presence. And we just kind of took that and we threw it in the ground. And God is saying, listen, if you would seek me with all your heart, what you're going to find isn't a bunch of religious rules, isn't a bunch of having to go through this to get this, isn't a much approving your value, what you're going to get is the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, the unconditional love of God, a God that knows you and he knows everything and he still loves you, a God that sees you and he sees everything, even what you will do and he still loves you and he cares for you, you are his masterpiece, but we have a choice this morning, we always have a choice, 
We can pick our choice, but we can't pick our consequences of the choice. But we always have a choice, and our choice is this. Will I allow the Lord to search my heart? Do I want to dwell with him to receive all the love, all the communion, all the closeness, all the hope, all the comfort, all the strength? Do I want to, do I want to walk with that? If yes, then we have to ask ourselves a second question. Am I willing to fully surrender my heart? Have I allowed anxiety to take room in my heart this morning? So I'm willing to give everything but that anxiety. I still want to hold on to it. Have I opened my whole heart except for this thing, whatever that might be for you, and just said, yeah, you know, I've opened it, but I'm still trying to hold on to this. God is saying, guess what? If you give that up, you know what you're going to discover is that my presence is so good. Can I tell you, we do presence nights, not because we want to, like, get ramped up or, like, want to sing a lot of songs or we're really into just having another thing to do. We do them because I believe that the presence of God changes everything. That if you want to see the miraculous in your family, that doesn't come out of your emotion, that comes out of the presence. If you want to see a movement and freedom from addiction and depression and oppression in your life, that comes from the presence of God. If you want to see change in your city, if you want to see freedom, if you want to see broken things repaired, if you want to see dead things brought back to life, if you want to see hurting things healed, that doesn't come from getting ramped up on Sunday morning, that comes from the presence of God. But you know what's keeping you from the presence of God, from the full communion, from seeing more miraculous things that you can ever, you know what's keeping us from that is the things that we allow to fill our heart. And this morning, God's saying, would you allow that to be emptied so that I could fill you? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes and just take a second before, before the band leads us in a moment of worship. I'm going to give a response here. I'm going to do two things. The, the very first thing this morning is I believe that some of you might have come in here and you've never encountered the love of Jesus Christ. And you hear me saying, God, God knows you. You hear me saying that God is with you. You hear me saying these things, but you're saying, you know, I, I've never walked with that. I've never felt that unconditional love. I've never seen that hope. And, and I, I just, I want to follow Jesus. I'm tired of trying to follow these other things. And I, I want to follow Jesus this morning. Kind of just every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to step into that presence. I want to know the goodness of the Lord. I want to know the hope. I want to spend eternity with a God who loves me so fiercely and so passionately. If that's you this morning and you'd like to make that decision to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to lift, our, lift your hand up high and just raise that up so one of our team members can see you. Just lift that up. Thank you. Thank you. Lift it up. Yes, thank you. I'm going to pray for you in a second, but after service, still every eye closed, every head bowed. After service, if you raise our hand, one of our team members has seen you, and they would love to bring you a Bible and pray for you. So if, if don't leave until that happens. I want to encourage you. You've started the best journey of your life. This isn't the end of something. This is the beginning of the greatest thing you've ever dreamed. But I want to pray for you this morning. And if you raise your hand, just pray in agreement with me. It's not special words or anything, but this is really your heart uh, making a transition. So just, just agree with me, church, even if you're a believer. God, this morning, we make a commitment together to follow you. We lay down our life. We lay down our heart. God, we take us off the throne and say, we are not our Savior. You are our Savior. I give my heart to you, and I pray, God, may I experience your love and your goodness. I choose today to follow you. Just in your heart, if you made that commitment today, just say in your heart or out loud, just say, I choose today to follow you. Yes, God. Yes, God. Can we celebrate that this morning, those who decided? Amen. I just love that God's like getting people saved from this tiny church. It's good. It's awesome. That's how we know it's God, because none of us are that good at this yet. <laughs> this morning, I, I believe that God gave me a word for some of you that you came in maybe feeling forgotten. And this morning, that God is trying to encourage you and empower you that you're not forgotten. But he has a question. Are you willing to lay down your full heart? Are you willing to lay down your full heart? Are you willing to lay down your heart and allow God to fill you? Stop trying to fill it with other things. Stop trying to just power through. 
Stop trying to just like oh, muscle it up and make it. But are you willing to just lay down your heart and say, God, take every part of my heart. You don't have to have every answer, you know, figured out, know every part of the Bible, memorize every book. He's just saying who this morning is tired of doing it alone and would rather have the presence of an almighty God who not only created everything he created me, who not only is everywhere, he's everywhere with me, and not only knows everything, but he knows me. Who wants that this morning? And he's asking you. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. And I like to do these bold things because I, I believe a step of boldness is good. If this morning you are willing and bold enough to say, God, I lay down my full heart to you, my full heart, every part, I open every door to you. God, I desire your presence. I desire you. I need to be filled with you, nothing else. I don't want another substitute. I just want you. If you're willing to say that this morning and you need to lay something down or whatever it might be, I'm just going to invite you to make your way forward. You're saying, God, I lay down my full heart to you this morning. God, I'm going to make a bold step and I say, I lay down my heart to you. I lay down my being to you, God. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want it to be about my strength, but I lay down my heart to you. Lay down my life to you. God, fill me. I desire your presence. You're saying this morning, I desire the presence of God. I desire the presence of God in my life. I want to see more of your presence. I'm just going to invite you to take a step. Thank you, brother. I'll just wait here a second. Let's wait here a second this morning. God's calling some of you this morning. You desire his presence, but he's asking you to take a step. But it's scary. It's not in your character. It's not in your DNA to step out and have everyone see you. But he's asking you right now, how bad do you want it? Do you want the freedom? Do you want the presence? Do you want the fullness? Because he's asking right now, who wants Who desires Who's saying, I want to see more? It all comes from his presence. Who wants it this morning? Yes, God, yes, yes. Come on. Anyone else this morning, you're saying, God, I just want to give you my full heart. God, I want to give you my full Every, every corner, every door, every, every closet, everything, just open it wide. God, I don't want to be filled with anything but your presence. I don't want to be filled with anything but your love, God. I desire you this morning. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Yes, God, yes, God. Come on, as you make your way up, just begin to seek him. Just begin to commune with him and say, God, I just open every heart, every, every door in my heart, I, and I just pray, God, fill me. Just fill me. Invite him. Fill me, God. Fill me up, God. Fill me up, God. I'm going to pray for you in a second. And as we, as I pray for you, the band is going to lead us through that song, Holy, Holy Are You, Lord. And our prayer team is going to come around and just begin to pray for you after um, we pray together. But if you're in the audience, can you just uh, lift your hands kind of facing towards the people up front? If you're up front, just lift it up and begin to ask God to fill you. Fill you. We're going to pray this morning. Just pray in agreement with me. God, we lift you up this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who knows everything, but right now you know us. God, you know the thoughts. You know my heart. You know my hopes and my dreams. God, you know me. And God, you're everywhere. God, you're, you're everywhere in this universe, and yet you are intimately with me right now speaking to my heart that you are not far, but you are here. When I seek you with all my heart, I'll find you. And God, we thank you that you created us. That God, even when we feel like a mess, we realize that we're your masterpiece. And so we say, God, we open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to you. Every, every closet, every door, every room, every basement, and we say, fill us, God. God, we desire to see you move.